The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 28. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From the movies to books to TV shows and more, we're always looking at the deeper themes and meanings that are found in the beloved series of Star Wars. Today, we're discussing Chapter 3 of Star Wars The Mandalorian. It's entitled The Sin, which I thought was an interesting take right off the bat. Mm -hmm. But joining me today on the panel... Is up first is Angela Cialana. Hi, Angela. Hello. I'm excited to relive my Rocketeer flashbacks tonight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Second up, we have Mike Creevy. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Father. It's good to be back. It's good to have you, of course. And third today, we have Andrew Hermes. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Father. Thomas is unfortunately not able to join us tonight, so we have just the, the four of us. So we start off with, uh, of course, uh, The Sin as the title of this episode. And I kind of want to come back to that at the end uh, because okay. I'm, I'm very interested in kind of picking that apart a little bit and hearing your thoughts. But I did see on the Twitterverse somewhere that someone commented that this could just be called the Baby Yoda show instead of the Mandalorian. And I just yeah, thought that was totally appropriate. He kind of steals every scene that he's in. And I'm pretty sure it's a he because I heard a pronoun in one of the episodes mm. where it referred to mm -hmm. him. In fact, I think mm -hmm. it was this episode. Dr. Pershing yes. referred to him. So, yeah, I have always just sort of assumed that. But uh, it's nice to have a confirmation. So the episode sort of starts off with uh, the Mandalorian and baby Yoda receiving a transmission from Grief Karga telling him to deliver the bounty directly to the client. And we have this adorable little scene with baby Yoda where he starts to play with the knob on the lever <laughs> and the Mandalorian is like trying to tell him to like, no, that's not a toy. And I thought that was adorable. I have a almost two year old nephew. And I was home uh, just the other week and I had this portable coffee grinder, hand grinder, and I was making coffee and he just wanted to come play with it. And it was it, the connections there with a with a youngling is just is just too cute. It's very baby, like babies reach out for shiny things or cool looking things. Yeah. So we then get the Mandalorian to deliver the baby to the client and it's it's really interesting that as the as he walks to the the place where the client is you can just sort of obviously tell that the mandalorian cares about uh, about this baby um and he takes him to uh the client and receives his payment beskar steel and it's inside this device called a camtono 
I guess. And I had not ever made the connections with that, with that device before. Um, but I think, uh, Angela, you have all sorts of connections to this device. Well, okay. So, um, have you guys been to any of you been to a Star Wars convention? Before? No, I have not. No. Okay. No. Well, I haven't, but I've watched the live stream a yeah. lot. Um, and oh, I've done that, yeah. yeah. And one of the kind of traditions that's developed is that people dress up as this Will Rowe Hood character from um, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, who we see like in the background when everybody's leaving Bespin and he's like running out wearing like the orange work suit. A jumpsuit and he's got the ice cream maker like you know that he's holding in his arms right so um that's kind of the tradition now is like people dress up as this character Wilro hood and uh they carry an ice cream maker or some kind of ice cream reference so obviously in this episode we saw that it is a safe right mm-hmm. but um What's cooler to me is that there's this viral video that was out a couple years ago of this little girl named Delta, and her dad is trying to get her to say the word ice cream. But (laughs) no matter how he tries to coach her, instead of saying ice cream, she says, come Tono. (laughs) (laughs) So you get the connection somehow uh, the Star Wars, whoever wrote this script, um, picked up on that and they chose to use that word that this little girl used for ice cream for the Star Wars safe that looks like an ice cream maker. Isn't that amazing? And it's so cool to have like Carl Weathers of all people sitting there like very casually <laughs> telling him like, get a Camtona of spice, you know, this like this cool, <laughs> like you know, shady guy. And it's like this, this, this dad somewhere out there is like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> He's like, sweetie we're famous <laughs> so was that video before the name actually appeared in star wars yes okay, this I was, the, yeah this is uh, the very first time that that has ever <laughs> been named it's just everybody nobody knew what it was before this show but now that, we know it's a safe and it's called the camtono <laughs> that video is adorable it is <laughs> Yeah. Did you guys notice, too, by the way, when he was taking, just to back up a minute, you know, speaking of little kids, because I keep thinking of, obviously, with, with Baby Yoda, the little detail of, like, he's, you know, he's just kind of, like, scared and apprehensive and just like a little kid out of his room. And his, like, little ears are blowing in the wind <laughs> and stuff. Like, yeah. And for some reason, that, like, the ears really got me. Because I don't really, I don't really remember a whole lot of motion on Yoda's ears, you know, back in the when in the puppet days or the CGI. So for whatever reason, that was just like every little detail. And like they added more baby sounds, I feel like, in this episode. Mm-hmm. It was like mm-hmm. really pulling on the heartstrings in a big way on purpose, you know. Well, and it sort of reminded me, too, of of just like a a dad pulling his kid in a little red wagon behind him, you know. <laughs> but obviously, you know, in a bit more of a dangerous context here. And I would say that I think that's probably what's pulling at like all the viewers' heartstrings is is that connection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So he unfortunately delivers Baby Yoda, collects his collects his bounty, his Beskar, and then we have this fantastic whole sequence of events that happen back at the Mandalorian camp, which is really really cool because he brings 
all of that Beskar to the armorer. And we have this, first of all, we have this encounter with a heavy infantry Mandalorian who immediately scoffs um, at how the Beskar was, was obtained because he's irritated that the Mandalorian is working with the remnants of the Empire, who is the reason that they have to live in the shadows and in secret. And they made comment that the, the Empire is the reason that their world was shattered. So, so that was, that was kind of interesting, but we have this fight kind of break out between the two of them, but something that's, that was pointed out after I had watched the episode was, was the voice of this particular heavy infantry is actually John Favreau himself, who yes. has cool. voiced, uh, Mandalorians before. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, he voiced a character called Pre Vizsla, um, in the Clone Wars. And that character is actually really important to the history of the Mandalorians. So um, actually the name Vizsla is important too. Um, so we had talked about this before the show that whether we we're going to talk about the name of the heavy infantry Mandalorian or not. Um, but yeah, like in the credits. Um, so he is called Paz Vizsla. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I found both of the, the first name and the last name interesting. But before I go into that, does anybody like did, did I mean, do you guys did did you talk or first of all, how did you look that up beforehand or did you hear about it through like our pre-show discussion? I heard a little bit about it and I was mostly a lot of it was in the context of just the excitement of a, the uh, heavy infantry Mandalorian black series action figure. But that's a whole other thing. Um, but but no, I, I hadn't really dug too deep on that. But that was I'm starting to kind of you know do some of this homework in between shows now because it is kind of cool to try to see where they're well and to, and to sort out how much of certain things are canon versus how much of it's from a lot of the expanded universe, you know, because clearly Disney's move here since they you know bought all this was to try to you know, edge that out, which they did like legally, you know what I mean? As far as like, this is canon, this is not, but so much of it is so rooted, I think, in just the, you know, kind of background noise and the, the, the vision, vision or visuals that we have sometimes from growing up with a lot of this, that, uh, I'm still trying to sort some of it out. (laughs) How about you guys? Did you hear about it or beforehand or are you familiar uh, with the character? I'm familiar with the character from the, from the, from the TV show mm-hmm. and and he is like an awesome character and kind of oh, yeah. yeah he has a he's a very very uh, awesome uh, story arc um and uh, the way he goes out in the show is pretty epic um but mm-hmm. the but yeah I had not I, I didn't pay attention to uh, what his name was in the credits so that was my first time finding out about that and I'm going to betray my uh, Star Wars fandom by admitting that I have only seen a few episodes of the Clone Wars that's okay. So um, it's definitely something that I want to go back to at some point. But I, w- hearing the the name of this Mandalorian, um, didn't didn't really strike me. But I also don't have the same context uh, that you guys do. But what I do find very cool about it is is just all the many ways that they do try to tie these shows together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's all part of one universe, and the way that they connect to the animated shows or the movies or the novels is always just fascinating, even if it's a sort of inconsequential sort of detail. Uh, mm-hmm. But they are aware of it and making the effort to connect the, to connect them. So, Do you want me to get into, like, the 
the connections or should we consider that like spoilers for people who haven't seen the clone wars or rebels or what how do you want to do this um you know <laughs> like, i i think we, we we uh i think we just throw out there that that we are going to get into spoiler territory for okay. the clone wars i'm happy to go there because the clone wars aired um years ago and and this isn't uh necessarily new territory so please angela enlighten okay, us okay cool Okay, so, well, since Mike mentioned uh, Legends, there was a character in Legends called Tor Vizsla. So he was actually interesting in that um, he has a direct connection to Jango Fett, actually. He um, he went out and, see, in Legends, Jango Fett was adopted, um, and his adopted father was killed by Tor Vizsla. So um, Tor Vizsla was then hunted down by Django Fett and uh, killed by uh, by Django. So um, that's the Legends connection. But the canon connection is that uh, actually in the series Rebels, we understand that thousands of years before the Old Republic, there was a Jedi Mandalorian and his name was Tar Vizsla. So similar to Tor, I think they were inspired by that. Um, so this Jedi was the first um, Mandalorian Jedi. And as I don't know if there, I don't think in canon there are any more uh, Mandalorian Jedi, but maybe if somebody knows, they can email us and correct us. But um, so Tar Vizsla is a very interesting character because when he was a Jedi, he created something called the dark saber. And oh. yeah, so that was his lightsaber. It basically looks like uh, and functions like a lightsaber, except it looks more like a sword mm -hmm. rather than a beam of light. And it's black. So, um, it became like, he became a leader for the Mandalorians. And you know how in the Mandalorian show, we've heard, I think it was Armor say something about walking the way of the Mandalore, right? Mm -hmm. So the Mandalore is the title for the leader of the Mandalorians. And uh, it's kind of like if we called the Pope the Catholic, sort of like that. Mm -hmm. So um so Tar Vizsla was named the Mandalore during this time that he was alive and he united all of Mandalore. Well, he passed away and the Jedi actually kept the dark saber in their temple and thousands of years passed and then members from House Vizsla actually uh, broke into the Jedi Temple during the time when the Old Republic was crumbling and there was the attack on Coruscant. And so um, they stole back the Darksaber and they took it to unite Mandalore again. And uh, as you know, the Jedi and the Mandalorians were kind of like warring, right? They weren't allies. So um, the interesting thing is that when they go back to Mandalore, then Mandalore has a civil war. Okay. And there are the Mandalorians who want to be warriors, but then there's Mandalorians who want to be pacifists. And the outcome of the civil war is that the pacifists actually win and the traditional Mandalorians are exiled to a moon called... Um, 
I think it's called, well, it doesn't really matter. So a Concordia, I think it's the name. So the members of House Vizsla are really important because um, they have the Darksaber, obviously. And uh, there's this character named Pre Vizsla, who is voiced by Jon Favreau, who is the leader of these kind of exiled Mandalorians. And they still want to be the warriors. And so they create this group called Death Watch. And they actually try to take over Mandalore. And they do it successfully by teaming up with Darth Maul. So this is a really cool arc in The Clone Wars. I really encourage you to watch it if you haven't. Um, He's not a good dude to hang out with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they think everything's cool. They think they're like buddies with Darth Maul. And Pre Vizsla actually names himself the Mandalore. He has the Darksaber, right? right? But, of course, Darth Maul um, challenges him to a duel and ends up winning and beheading Pre Vizsla. And that's when Darth Maul actually becomes the Mandalore for a little bit. So um, that's the history of the House Vizsla and Clan Vizsla and the Mandalore. So it's really, really a big deal in the Mandalorian canon that we have. And in addition to that last name being Vizsla and being really symbolic of like the kind of the warring Mandalorians, the warlord Mandalorians, you also have the first name, which is Paz. And in Spanish, that means peace. So I thought that was really interesting because this character, this heavy infantry Mandalorian that we are introduced to is both um, at the beginning, he is kind of like picking this fight with the Mandalore character that we know. And then at the end, you know, he's kind of like, buddy buddy like giving him the rocketeer salute and everything at the end right Mm -hmm. so i i don't know i think um i hope that they continue to i don't know tell us something else about this other guy now like i'm interested too in why does he have the Vizsla name yeah i think the uh i was just thinking too i don't know the i'd have to go back and check you know these timeline questions keep coming up but that uh, encounter with with Vizsla and with you know with Obi Wan and some of those you know those subplots in Clone Wars uh, and then ultimately the, the Maul fight and I think it seems like about thirty years before where we're at now I think ish something like that would that be um, about right probably so because well because we're we're fifty years from when when Anakin was born roughly because mm-hmm. people yeah. pointed out that there may or may not be a connection there but it's you know that the baby yoda and anakin were roughly the same age and then it's, but yeah so I, I'm, I'm doing trying to do the math in my head but mm-hmm. well but you know you see the flashbacks with him now two times obviously this isn't a mistake with the uh, the armor every time she's working and you see flashbacks to him as a kid and now um yeah uh, I can't say I called it because I think I'd heard other people saying it, but sure enough, you know, they showed it explicitly now when the door opens up and it's that that battle droid. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't know who saved him from that either, which is a good question. But um, but yeah, it had I don't... to have been something really powerful too. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. they must have destroyed that super battle droid like right before it shot yeah. the kid. And it makes you yeah, wonder those it's... battle droids. Uh, you could. Uh... Well, obviously, it's been years since the prequels, but they look a lot better they do. In, the, in this episode than they did in the prequels. Um, they do. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was obviously that is the question, like who saved uh, him? Um, uh, I think, you know, maybe an obvious answer would be maybe a Mandalorian um, or a group of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they found him and he as him being the foundling. 
um, right. that they brought in. Um, but I was also thinking that it, maybe it was a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he has some, you know, because like you said, it had to have been someone very powerful. And um, when you think of powerful beings that would save people, um, you know, a Jedi would be at the top of the list. How how weird would it be if it was Yoda? Because oh. <laughs> I'm wow. just wondering, that's... like, would that be like that? Was that too, or, or Obi Wan? I mean, they have the Obi Wan show coming out, so that's kind of a cool because it takes place further back, like Clone Wars era. But I don't know. I don't know mm, if I want to see you yeah. and McGregor with the mullet again. <laughs> maybe, maybe one more time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a Mandalorian cool. rescuing him is more likely. I think so too. Yeah. Um, this whole scene though had some some really cool Christian connections too, and we we sort of briefly kind of hit that hit that topic. But um, kind of what stops that the fight between uh, the two between the Mandalorian um, and Paz Vizsla was the armorer kind of uh, talking about the way. Uh, you know, she, she kind of asks the Mandalorian, have you ever removed your helmet? And he says, no. And has it ever been removed by others? And he responds, never. And she says, this is the way. And he responds with, this is the way. And they kind of all agree that this is the way. And that becomes like this marching mantra of the, the Mandalorians. And so it was it was really interesting. It's of course it's 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 a reference to the way of the Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's referring to the the way that they live their lives according to their leader, the Mandalore. And it's it's darn near impossible for us to not to make the Christian connection here. Because <laughs> the way, if you aren't aware, is the is the first is the earliest name for Christianity. Right. Um, it actually it refers to just the, the, the fact that following Jesus is a whole way of life. Um, it comes from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, when he talks about the way of the Lord. Um, in fact, St. John the Baptist, when he is ushering in uh, Jesus, he says to prepare the way of the Lord, uh, which echoes Isaiah. But then even in the Acts of the Apostles, we have numerous references to the way. Um, the first one being in Acts chapter 9 um, on Saul's conversion. Um, he was hunting down, of course, people who belonged to the way so that he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it's in that moment then that he is uh, knocked off his horse, metaphorically or literally, we're not quite sure, but has his conversion uh, to Christianity and to the way. So that was just a really cool connection there because the the way that the mm-hmm. mandalorians react to the way of the mandalore is the same way that we as as catholics respond to the way of the lord and follow the our leader who is of course jesus christ oh, and paul it doesn't paul paul even says at one point too you know in, in telling his story you know i persecuted this way you know he's still calling it that you know in in his his backstory mm-hmm. um but yeah no that was so, such a cool connection <laughs> doesn't it make you wonder if the early christians said this is the way <laughs> <laughs> like like the secret handshake like this yeah. is the way yeah. <laughs> i'm going to start saying it at mass during the sign of peace <laughs> we can uh, we can start the trend you're you're going to find out who else is watching the mandalorian that's yes. for sure <laughs> <laughs> I want it on a t-shirt. Isn't it amazing? We're only three episodes in and like what? Like oh, maybe yeah. an hour and a half, maybe two, almost two hours. But we already have, yeah. 
I have sp- or I have spoken. I've spoken. This is the way. <laughs> <laughs> I want the one though of love, like him taking the little ball bearing back from little baby Yoda. It's not a toy, you know. Like I just want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the dads out there is, are going to totally relate to that. <laughs> So yeah, so next up, after that whole sequence, he has his his armor uh, made, his his chest armor and the other shoulder patch and and most of it. But he also has, um, whist, whistling bird. Was that the name of it? Mm-hmm. Like, whistling birds. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, and we had an interesting uh, dialogue about the signet, and so mm-hmm. I, yeah. I we're, we're still not quite sure what is going to be revealed as the Mandalorian signet. The armor wanted. The Mudhorn to be the signet because he defeated the Mudhorn until he tells her that he was helped by the enemy who didn't know that he was the enemy and <laughs> Baby Yoda, in fact, actually did the hard lift in there. <laughs> quite, so, quite literally. <laughs> yeah. But we gotta we gotta see the whistling birds in action way quicker than I expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't and you guys I couldn't tell how many was it just one? It was it was a little reminiscent of the Tony Stark thing, which again, John yeah. Favreau, like I couldn't help yeah. but laugh a little bit, you know, back to the first Iron Man, you know, but or was it the second one? I think it was the first one, but uh, yeah. yeah, like that just that simultaneous thing. But I couldn't tell was it was it one flying around or two or three? I don't know because he's it, supposed it, to use them sparingly. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Andrew. Are you yeah, no, it? I think yeah, I just I, I think I saw multiple ones like okay. like the Iron Man thing that yeah. you're referencing. Um, it seemed like it was multiple ones that. And he probably used most, if not all, of <laughs> whatever uh, she she gave him. Um, but yeah, maybe that's not the last time we'll see that equipment yeah. being used. Um, because uh, you never know, there may be more Beskar coming his way. Uh, <laughs> if, if they're easier to find than a Mandalorian, then yeah, I think he could come across it fairly easily. But it's also interesting that that he he's told that they are valuable and rare and he has no problem using them to rescue baby Yoda. I know we're mm-hmm. jumping ahead a little bit, but so so that already is reaffirming the the care that he has for baby Yoda if he's going to just use those uh without without really thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um but before we get there, he he actually seeks out Grief Karga again and to to try to just get on to the next mission. He leaves Baby Yoda with with the client and we're not sure what's going to happen to to Baby Yoda. And he gets a new a new uh puck with a bounty from from Grief Karga and and again he he asks the cl- or he asks yeah, he asks the client what they plan to do with mm-hmm. with the baby and the client basically tells him it's guild policy, you know, that this is all now forgotten, so don't ask. But then he also asks Grief Karga mm-hmm. what they plan to do with the child. And that's where Grief tells him to to get a Camtono of spice and just forget about it. Um but he also we also learned something interesting there that that fobs were given out for baby Yoda to all the bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. Which was sort of surprising for me and but not unexpected, I guess. Because that plays a role in the the episode as it continues. Um, we see the Mandalorian get onto a ship to depart and to just leave it all behind, and and that scene was also really really touching. He goes to move the lever that uh, Baby Yoda had been playing with the knob and sees that the knob is not there, and without at all seeing his facial expressions, it was 
completely obvious what was going through his mind. And you could almost see in his body language his reaction, which I thought was super cool. And I, I, I was going awesome. to that's you know, bravo to Pedro Pascal again, because I was just thinking, as you were saying that, Father, before you said about body language. I mean, it's it came up last time. It, it comes up probably every episode as long as he keeps that helmet on, because I just don't know how you do that. You know, and it was every little I watched it again before we did this tonight and just like leaving his hands. He's just staring at it and keeping his hand there. And just the freeze frame, like there's all this, he's moving, he's moving, he's moving, he's going here, he's going there. It's just that freezing in that moment of thought, you know, without even having to see his face was just so, so powerful. I really love that scene. You know? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Deborah Chow um, directed this episode. So it's our first time seeing her work yeah. um, uh, on the show. And I think she made all the right choices. I mean, because you have to be creative with the mask on to to convey emotion and I thought, you know, just that simple, like pulling into the mask, you know, just you can almost like see his face through the mask, like just with that simple camera move um, and, and all the editing choices that, that they uh, that she had um, throughout that scene. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll echo everything that, that you just said. It's we, we, we felt everything that he felt in that scene. And um that's what makes this show work is is that you have those choices have to hit every time because we have to um see past his mask and 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 uh, uh because uh, even in 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 his speech uh, uh when we hear him talk he's very monotone he doesn't convey emotion <laughs> in his speech even so everything is through body language and and camera movement and and uh editing choices so um uh, from this episode uh this is my favorite one thus far. Um, I think you see why they Deborah Chow was chosen to direct all the episodes of Obi Wan. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. If, if you didn't already know that she's yeah. she's directing every episode of Obi Wan. Um, so I, I th- just after watching this one episode, I think I'm already sold on her. Well, and I think that's the the brilliance of including a character like Baby Yoda is because without without Baby Yoda. I think we as an audience would would struggle to find a connection to the Mandalorian mm-hmm. and immediately adding baby Yoda to that dynamic. We can already we're relating to him as a as an uncle, as a dad, as a mm. as someone who has a, you know, a younger brother or a younger sister. We, we have a we have a frame of reference to connect. And so when he is on his ship and almost to touch that that lever. And everything just stops. All of us have a have a way to know exactly what he's thinking, you know, without a facial expression, without, you know, any of that sort of thing or or talking. And yet we have that connection. Well, and it's in the the spiritual life in general or just any time in life, you know, you have those those moments when there's no going back because, you know, like he flips everything off. He's climbing out of the cockpit. You don't know exactly how it's going to go, but he's not going to walk down the ramp and be like, no, 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 no. Okay, I was right. And get back on the ship and leave. Like, you know, there's like a like a rest of the show or rest of his story. As long as the show goes, potentially decision has just been made at that, that moment, which was so cool. And that yeah, could... and you can, Oh, sorry. You can Go just kind of tell that, um, he has a guilty conscience, like already when he's asking the question twice, what, what are they going to do with it? You know, you, you get that it's planted in your mind. Like, you know, he, plus what we know about his backstory you know, and that he was found and he was a kid. So all those things 
plus, of course, all that brilliant acting just really add up to this idea that he has the guilty conscience. Well, and he, it's like, for some reason, the Jeremy Maguire line just popped in my head. If you had me at hello, like, because it was the the moment that he sees Baby Yoda. It wasn't like it happened like just in the last few minutes. It's like that right. very first thing he ever does is save his life. You know, from IG Eleven, mm-hmm. and then you know the little you know like the 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 God and Adam kind of like finger touching thing. <laughs> I mean, that was mm-hmm. so that that is just so cool that that's been there from the very very beginning of their relationship. And also, Baby Yoda saved his life too, right? You know, yeah. with the mud horn. I mean, mm-hmm. that with that scene, thinking back to it, when the Mandalorian is like kneeling on the ground and he has his knife out, it's like he almost looks like again that brilliant acting. I'm gonna die right now, right. you know. And so I think, yeah, like just all these things put together, it the the relationship. You're right, really adds to the character of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say that it that it also echoes the the hero's journey, mm-hmm. and and I don't know all the the proper terminologies for the di- different stages, but but this was yeah like that point that once he crosses this threshold, like his life is forever changed and he can't go back. You know, it's 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 analogous sort of to that moment where Luke uh, goes back and finds his aunt and uncle dead, and he mm-hmm. knows that there's no going back to his old way of life, even though he kind of wanted to at that point. And the Mandalorian has you you can almost tell he's got that that dilemma going on. Like I I could just put the put the knob back on and leave and go back to my old life or I can do what's right, uh, which isn't the easy thing to do and go down this road. And and of course, he he chooses to do the right thing and there's no going back. And and oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you should go. Oh, no, all I was going to add was it goes back to what we were saying before about we'll find more about his foundling situation, because whatever happened, you know, it's it's like you can almost imagine that moment of what was that for that sacrifice, whatever. Someone did this for me. And if I don't do this now, was that a waste? You know, so it's just there's a lot of potential there for where they where they take this. Yeah, um, I was just going to jump to uh, when he's going back to the the client's lair or whatever. And is it okay if I go there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, when he sees the crib, I guess you want to call it the the little egg thing in the trash. <laughs> I almost thought to myself, like, is this just kind of like on the nose a little bit? Like it's in the trash, you know, it's just very deliberate. But, um, what I liked was in the music that, um, when he sees and he's looking at that and the cameras on that crib, we we hear the uh the strings get faster kind of cueing like his emotions <sighs> are getting you know he's getting angry and he's yeah. getting upset and so i i just wanted to note that and praise that little point yeah when the and the, the deeper meaning of just you know like the practical side of they threw that out in the trash but the idea of like that's what they're doing to baby yoda like that's what you have know, the whole attitude of and then that's how you know what the you know the droid army or whoever all was was trying to do that to him when he was a kid so just all that coming together again like yeah he's he's losing it <laughs> right well to the yeah. client he was just he was a thing to be used not a mm-hmm. person to be loved mm-hmm. to use the language of of John Paul II um but it was 
also we have that that fascinating eavesdropping scene there. Yes. Where mm. where he's he's eavesdropping and he, he he's hearing the client just ordering Dr. Pershing to extract the necessary material and be done with it. And so you can obviously already hear that he doesn't care about Baby Yoda at all. Dr. Mm. Pershing does. And so we we had a couple things to note there that I, I found is is Dr. Pershing mentions that quote, he has explicitly ordered us to bring it back alive, unquote. So we still have a bigger person at play or character at play who is wanting Baby Yoda and who that is, we have no real sense or inkling of yet. So that's a question that still needs to be answered. But also, what were they extracting or going to extract from from Baby Yoda? And I have a couple thoughts. Um, I guess I'll, I'll get get your guys' thoughts here too. But the first thought that I had was maybe this was the reference to the to the midi chlorians. Um, that is not an explicit oh reference, but but it could be um, a way for everybody to win. Don't mention them. But I, as I as I kind of was seeing it more, and someone pointed out, and Mike, I think you mentioned this in the last episode was. Someone again pointed to the the similarity between the the logo on Dr. Bergeng's coat to yeah. um the same more or less the same logo that's found on on Boba Fett when he's a clone on Camino. Mm-hmm. So the other option that I thought of was maybe they're trying to extract DNA in order to clone him and and try to use an army of Yodas who are of course obviously strong with the Force. So. Those are my two thoughts, but I don't know if you guys uh, had anything to to add there. Yeah, um, when I was thinking about this, uh, I, w- I was thinking of well, there there's there's the rumor out there, or I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but the episode that's going to come out like a few days, a couple days before Rise of Skywalker comes out, there's supposed to be some connection uh, to the movie. Like I said, that's the rumor at least. So I was thinking maybe they're trying to find out, maybe there's some connection between what allows this Yoda species to be force sensitive, you know, from a very early age. Well, I mean, he's 50, but I mean, he, he's still a baby. Like, uh, you know, he, he, looks, yeah. he looks great. Yeah. He, yeah. He's a, he looks good for 50. Yeah. But um, so maybe there's a connection between what, how baby Yoda is able to have these uh force sensitive powers um at this young age and how ray is able to have you know these force sensitive powers without ever you know practicing them um so maybe there's some connection there um again it's all speculation it could there could be nothing there but that, that's just something that i was thinking of i'm more in favor of thinking that uh emperor palpatine's a clone in the new movie and that's yeah. the connection yeah but yeah, I don't well, know. And I wonder, I wonder too, you know, cause I, I have, well, we all do, you know, we, we have so many questions <laughs> and, and the whole, I know, I know the whole like Snoke getting cut in half thing got criticized, you know, uh, I certainly wasn't expecting it, but I, I don't know if you guys saw this somewhere along the line, just cause I think most of us who don't, you know, Andrew, you probably know this better than most of us here, but you know, the, the amount of time that goes into these, these productions when you're talking about um, on the, on the big screen and the discussions that take place and everything. I read somewhere, if you look at the timeline of it, that if I remember correctly, uh, Ryan Johnson's uh, basic layout for and draft of Last Jedi 
was was like already existed and and had already been seen by J.J. Abrams before The Force Awakens even actually was screened uh, because they were already doing the early. So, you know, like when you're watching Force Awakens in 2000, whatever, 14 or 15, I guess it was, um, that's already in the plan somewhere. However, it was going to be planned out. You know, maybe they didn't know at the time, but. So I can't help it. I don't know. I keep wondering, like, we're in the formative years here of the beginning of the First Order. Snoke must already exist somewhere. So mm. it's just, I don't know. Mm. I, I, I'm racking my brain trying to figure out how he fit, fits into this whole, you know, Palpatine still around thing. I don't know. December yeah, 20th yeah. can't come a, soon another, enough. <laughs> yeah, another interesting thing, yeah, to add to that. Yeah. Like, you're right. Yeah, J.J. Um, Abrams was shown the outline. Um, and and I, and I there was a recent interview with J.J. where he said, um, uh, he confirmed again. He's like, yeah, I was able to see, you know, Ryan's uh, timeline, and it had no effect on, you know, he didn't know he was going to do the third movie. But he right. said, if he had done the third movie, he said everything that he laid out did not interfere with it. Um, but Colin Trevorrow, who was uh, previously connected to the third movie, um, he mentioned that the whole bringing Palpatine back was not his idea, but it was strictly JJ's. So, um, you know, so the, we'll we'll see, you know, what the uh, machinations are uh, for Palpatine's return, you know, in in the film. And and we'll see if the show has anything to do with it. Um, So, yeah, that's the, that was a interesting uh, point to bring up. And you can guarantee we'll be back to talk about that when (laughs) the movie (laughs) comes out. And can oh, I yes. just can I just add one more thing real quick again because I know we're not talking about last or um, um, Rise of Skywalker specifically, mm-hmm. but only because you know this is all somehow it has to fit in the same overall story arc, and um, you know with some of the promotional stuff they're doing for Episode Nine without you know any spoilers or anything, which I'm I was thankful for. I did see some references. I think Oscar Isaac just teased this idea of you know nine really bearing out this this picture of this big sort of jedi sith like huge chess match mm-hmm. that's been going on that was the phrase he used i'm sure you guys saw that and that you know you're finally going to see where checkmate falls so I, I, that idea of this grand scope that clearly that's whatever that is that's going on in the background of all this and that this could tie into that's just kind of cool there's a lot of uh, holes and questions, but to kind of bring it back to the show, what I was wondering is, you know, of course we see the Mandalorian go in and then he walks in and there's like this mind probe uh, droid that he that he um, destroys. But Dr. Pershing says, like, you know, don't hurt him, blah, blah. And then he's like, well, he something about how I saved him. Like he would have, mm-hmm. he would be dead if it wasn't for me. Right. And that was the big question in my mind was like, okay, well, if they're taking something out of him and to do something for somebody else, but then Dr. Pershing, is he like, is that process the process that is saving him? Is that why they are like, is this little guy in danger for some reason? Is he unhealthy mm-hmm. or is Dr. Pershing just doing this? solely because he's deep down like just a good guy in a bad right. situation and he like on the side is taking care of this little kid so yeah. that i have all those questions in my mind <laughs> he could be yeah, i think this is not the last yeah sorry but um i think i just wanted to say i think it's not the last time we'll see dr pershing right i, I think no. uh you know naturally he would be the first person 
the Mandalorian would would go to if there were you know if God forbid Baby Yoda got hurt or mm-hmm. anything like that. Right. Um. You know, I, I think there is definitely a lot of room for him to come back and um and and maybe we'll we'll have those questions answered. Dr. Pershing to me seems to be the the kind who is like just super super into his work and mm-hmm. um is probably being used by the client. So in the same way that maybe a a, a scientist would be super attached to their lab rats, you know, right. like mm-hmm. like without necessarily paying attention to what's, you know, hierarchy and a bureaucracy above his head, but he's super focused on on his work and what he believes to be the good of it and obviously has an attachment to to baby Yoda. Um but moving on, he uh the Mandalorian rescues baby Yoda and that's where he fights his way out and uses the whistling birds without really a second thought to to escape. And this is then the point where all the fobs with all the other bounty hunters comes into play because he's leaving with baby Yoda. Obviously the client has reactivated the bounty and all the fobs start beeping and you just know that a big confrontation is going to happen, which of course it does uh, led by grief Karga and all the, the bounty hunters and uh, the Mandalorian. And they confront him, want him to surrender the kid, and he hops into the speeder and starts shooting his way out, but gets outnumbered and outgunned. And then we have one of the coolest scenes of the entire episode of all the other Mandalorians flying yes. with their jetpacks to the rescue. And, and did you catch Grief Karga's Star Wars line of, I'm your only hope? Yeah. Because I'm your only hope. <laughs> it's like they're trying to throw out as many of, like, obscure and random <laughs> references to the uh to the movies that they can which is great yeah um but the the mandalorians come to the rescue including the the heavy infantry mandalorian which was really cool and i know that we had kind of talked about this before and one of the other things that i thought about in that moment was was again that idea that that they are part of a a, a tribe like the way of mm-hmm. the mandalore and mm-hmm. and so even if they have a personal disagreement which they did he was willing to to let that go for the sake of supporting his brother in this fight. And mm-hmm. and I thought, how how cool is that? How analogous again to, to just Christianity and we who are all, you know, in this fight together that we might disagree with one another um, on whatever it is. But at the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And you can mm. count on my support, you know, in the fight uh, for for good and justice. Um, and so I, I loved that connection that they can be at odds against whatever, but they will always have each other's back. That that idea of um, sacrificing for one another, um, which was also something that that they mentioned was that they're going to have to move the the covert. Um, mm-hmm. And that that was that must have been a reference to their their little hideout that now that they've mm-hmm. all revealed themselves, they will have to relocate but they had to relocate because they all decided to support the Mandalorian, which again, well, I, I love that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I, uh, I, I really didn't see it coming. Maybe I should have, but like it, it didn't seem like they had any, or based on the episode that they had any idea of what he was even up to or what his bounty was or his concern or any of that. Like they just, was it just that like uh, he was under attack and they show up? I couldn't really I, I tell. Think- I think they had him. to have they had to have known because the heavy infantry soldier or the heavy infantry infantry Mandalorian knows that he's working with the Empire. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they had yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they even knew of the bounty, but chose not mm-hmm. to 
work with the Empire, whereas the Mandalorian did. Be. That's a good point. Yeah, but they're there. But you're right. You know, they're there for for him because <laughs> he's at right. the end of the day, he's one of theirs. You know, right? That's pretty cool. Um, and then we have uh, him confront Grief Karga again and shoot him off his ship, which was <laughs> fun. And I totally didn't expect yeah. him uh, to die, and he didn't. Uh, he was saved by some Beskar in his in his front pocket. And the Mandalorian. And now, did you think? Now, did you think okay. that the Mandalorian shot there on purpose? Yes. Yeah. See, or do I, you think he got lucky? Because I think he 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 did that on purpose. I don't think the Mandalorian would have missed. Because he he showed he showed him where he kept the the best scar. So I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I okay. think he. Uh, I was wondering. About it was more that. than luck. Yeah, because I, I saw somewhere they had another one of these panels after they had screened a few episodes. And it was before um, before we had seen any of the episodes. But there was something I, I, I can't remember exactly how it went, but there was something that when John Favreau and, and uh, Carl Weathers were having this back and forth about working together and something came across about, you know, John Favreau talked about Carl Weathers like now we're filming season two and like we found this really creative way to get him in there or something like that, which <laughs> I don't think they meant to kind of give any plot points away. But when I saw this scene, I almost wondered like, was there a version where he was supposed to die? But mm. they're like, no, he's, he's a great character. And wait a minute, he's got best car in his pocket. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't know. I maybe went either way. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. So he, uh, then takes off with baby Yoda and the Mandalorian, uh, gets a, a salute from one of the, the others <laughs> in a jetpack. Um, and I loved his line. Uh, I got to get one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and then yeah, the- I was watching him like, uh, I was like, yeah, that's right. Mandalorians can fly, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I don't know why he didn't get on that uh, jetpack uh, bandwagon. Well, if you, if you, maybe no- we'll see it now. If you notice, his helmet also does not have the rangefinder. So that's right. I, I still yeah. feel like this show might be at the end of the season, maybe he will have accumulated his complete armor and all mm-hmm. the, the bells and whistles. Sure. Yeah. Um, it, earlier in the episode when they had that kind of tizzy underground and the heavy infantry guy mentioned that only one of them is allowed above ground at once. And whenever he comes down underground, you see all the other guys kind of look like they already have all their armor. So it's almost like, he's at that point where he's the guy who has to go out and sort of earn everything. Mm. He's the junior man on the account. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then the episode ends with that final scene with uh, the Mandalorian and baby Yoda. And just like any dad out there, he's like, okay, fine. You can have the knob (laughs) to play with. And they go off into space. Of course, my wife got on the case because she's like, did he just he just gave him the choking hazard? (laughs) But then I reminded her that I was like, well, no, he ate the frog earlier. So maybe maybe it's not that much of a problem. (laughs) Uh, Well, cool. Um, I want to go back to the title of the episode. Um, It's titled The Sin. And so, again, I'd I'd like to know your guys' thoughts on that. I had I had a few thoughts uh, because I was trying to as I watched the episode figure out what the sin referred to. Right. Um, and so I came up with three different options and I, and I think it was kind of a, an interesting set of three. Um, I thought perhaps one of them was uh, the sin of abandoning the child of giving mm-hmm. it to the client. And I sort of equated that with maybe that was uh, the Mandalorian's own view of personal sin um, against himself. Um, second option that I thought of was uh, break. He broke the guild code. 
And so mm. I thought maybe, okay, so then maybe the sin is referring to the fact that the Mandalorian sinned against the Bounty Hunter Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, the third option that I thought of was uh, him working with for the Empire and right. the Mandalorian clan seeing that as a sin against them because it's sort of an act of betrayal to work with the enemy. So mm-hmm. I don't actually know what the sin referred to. Maybe it's meant to refer to multiple things, but what are your guys' thoughts? I had one more option, which is actually not related to the Mandalorian, but to Dr. Pershing. And that is, um, was the sin referencing or in this overall meaning, um, the concept of whatever they're doing to baby Yoda, you know, is that considered a sin? So, yeah, Yeah. I, I, I like that. Um, what I was thinking of was, uh, I think the first point that father was touching on, I think it's uh, like just a sin of omission on the Mandalorian's part if he didn't act on, uh, you know, saving baby Yoda, um, because it's that pivotal scene, uh, you know, that, that we're talking about where he's in his ship ready to leave. Um, and he makes a decision to go back, um, because of that, you know, his conscience, uh, eating at him. So, um, yeah, that's what I thought, uh, at least, um, as far as the sin. Um, but I think I like your, yours better, Angela. Really? Yeah, I know, I really, but yeah, that, I, I, I dig that one. Um, but we're we're Catholics, uh, so it's both and. Right? <laughs> I was just yeah, going to exactly. say, yeah, <laughs> I, I, vote, all of the above. I vote for an all of the above because I think it's also, uh, you know, P- uh, Peter Kraft is so good on the the whole. He's a couple talks on um, the whole question of faded or free. I think which ties into this too because it's it's both. You know, it's it's the idea, and I, I think that in terms of my take on it would apply to all those options as well. The idea that it's in a weird sense, like with all all these people making these free choices, but there's something, there's a bigger will going on. Um, and it's the, maybe it's the mea culpa of, uh, of the star Wars universe (laughs) like this, or, or this, or or rather this, this sort sort of, Oh, happy fault kind of situation where somehow this is all gonna in the end run, you know, be, be part of this bigger, plan whatever whatever the force is you know that uh is going on and that was something that um i think is really cool about this this whole show for me personally is is just that you know if it's if it's just a space western that's cool you know if it's just a this if it's just a that we talked about a lot of those themes but i keep coming back to like i don't know if if, i think like the force is the thing that's unique really about star wars and i really think that that's you know the main character in a way here as well <laughs> so it'll be neat to see what they do with this any final thoughts uh, about the episode well i was kind of expecting a confession scene i don't know if you guys were <laughs> but <laughs> i guess that's the catholic in me but i mean we saw like you know we saw the guilty stage we saw like him making reparation for his sin and so uh you know, I think we kind of saw most of the, you know, stages related to sin that we kind of are familiar with in like real life. So, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess with Mandalorians, there's less talking and more action. <laughs> True. You think we'll see him in a space confessional in the next episode and like Baby Yoda's pulling <laughs> stuff off the walls and he's like, no, come here. <laughs> cool. Well, that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of episode three of The Mandalorian? Be sure to email us or comment on our Facebook or Twitter page and let us know. 
You can email us any feedback at starwars at sqpn.com. And you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia and on Twitter at sqpn. We'd like to take a moment now to thank, thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, including Father Brian, Stephanie L., Heather C., John T., and Victor L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows here at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This is the way. <laughs> this is the way. Give to SQPN. <laughs> also, be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere that you listen to your podcast. You can also subscribe on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars, please visit sqpn.com slash Wars. And we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the fourth episode of The Mandalorian. And so until next time, Andrew Hermes, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Looking forward to next week already. Me too. Mike Creevy, thank you for joining us as well. My pleasure. And Angela Cialana, thanks for joining us. Gotta say it, I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Quest.